the topic of today's sermon is uh, rise, have no fear, rise up. Rise up, have no fear. And so uh, I'm kind of wondering, what, what kind of fears do you have? Do you have fears? I was looking at the internet, and the internet, uh, I typed in fears, and this list of phobias came up. And I had no idea there were so many phobias out there. There's hundreds of them, hundreds of them. Uh, acrophobia, we all know that one, the fear of heights. Arachnophobia, there was a movie about that, the fear of, of what? Spiders, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a fear, there's a phobia called ecclesiophobia. Do you have that, ecclesiophobia? You know what that is? Fear of church. Fear of church. There's another one, Bill, called uh, homiloiophobia. The fear of homilies, the fear of sermons. Are you afraid of the sermon today? Maybe you have that and halfway through you're going to run out. Uh, I don't know. My favorite phobia is called emetophobia. Does anybody know what emetophobia is? No. No, 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 no. Fear of throwing up. The fear of... You have that, Trish? Don't do it. I sometimes get a little excited and I spit, but I hope I don't throw up. So there's lots of phobias, but... Um, okay, Rich. 1973 movie. White Lightning. Burt Reynolds said, I'm scared of two things. Do you remember? Women and the police. <laughs> now, what church in the world are you ever going to go to to hear Burt Reynolds quoted? Only this one. <laughs> Women and the police. But seriously, seriously, all kidding aside, we have fears. We have fears. What do we do with them? How do we deal with them? What does the Bible say about fear? So if you're there, I want to read this little passage in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. So uh, follow along with me and try to picture this scene that we have portrayed here by Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Matthew says, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold, two beholds, one, two, a voice 
A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus... But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is God's word. So, We're going to talk about this little passage. I'm going to point out a few things as we read down through it. And then I'm going to make a couple applications for you and I today. So first off, the scene. Peter, James, and John. Intimate friends of Jesus. Jesus had his 12 disciples. He had these three which often accompany Jesus by themselves. So he takes them up on a high mountain. Traditionally, that's Mount Tabor if you go to Israel. Annette and I uh, went to Mount Tabor. We, we actually drove up uh, Mount Tabor, and um, we were in a little Mercedes. It was a taxi, and the road is very nabel, uh, narrow as you go up, and the guy was going 100 miles an hour, and the road was narrow, and there were no guardrails. I thought we were going to meet Jesus on the way up or on the way down. But we went up Mount Tabor, and, you know, a mountain in Scripture is often a place where you meet God. Oftentimes, you see, when they meet God, they go up on a high mountain. So this is very significant. Um, So they were there by themselves. They were together with Jesus, Jesus alone. They had this time of intimacy with him up there. Now, it's quite interesting. There's another time right after this, a couple of chapters later, where Jesus takes the same three guys and goes off with them alone. In this case, we see this this picture of Jesus transfigured. He's changed in his appearance. He's changed to glory. In, In the other one, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, Jesus takes these same three guys and they go off into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays. He's about to go to the cross. And he's anticipating the cross. He's anticipating the suffering. And he's in agony, it says. And he prays in agony. And his sweat was like great drops of blood. So these same three guys saw Jesus anticipating the time of suffering. But they also see him in this scene in glory. Now when Jesus walked the earth, when he was here on the earth, how do you picture him? Many of us picture him with kind of a halo around his head, right? You see paintings of Jesus, right, sometimes? And and there's Jesus with the little children, and all the little children are coming up to him, and he's like, got this halo, and you know it's Jesus. Or Jesus is going through a crowd, and people are kind of following him, but he stands out, you know it's him, you know it's Jesus, because he's kind of glowing, he's got the halo kind of look. I don't think it was that way at all. See, when Jesus walked the earth, he took the form of a man and he veiled, he hid his glory. He hid it. 
And occasionally in Scripture, you see this veil lifted. You see it pulled back. And that's what we have here in Matthew 17. We have this moment when we see Jesus in all his glory and he shines with the light of the sun. We see the veil pull back for a moment and we see Jesus for who he really is, the Lord of glory. That's what this scene is showing. This moment where the veil is pulled back and we see him for whom he is. You know the last book of the Bible? You know what it's called? The very last book, all the way at the end. Not the appendix, no. The one before the appendix? The index. Now, what was it? Revelation. revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The apocalypse is what that's called. The unveiling of Jesus. See, some people say, oh, it's called the revelations and there's some prophecy and all that. No, 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 you're missing the point. The point of the book is to unveil Jesus in all his glory, to to just take that veil away and to see him for who he is. That's what the purpose of the book is. And these guys, these three special guys, get to see Jesus for a moment on the earth. The veil is pulled back. They see his glory. This little story is told in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each one tells it just a little different. There's a little different viewpoint. A couple of details added here or there that that aren't in all of them. Mark says, Mark's Gospel says, his clothes were dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Luke says, he was bright as a flashing of lightning. And here in Matthew, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, like the radiance of the sun, the radiance of the stars. Now, when it says he was transfigured, that word transfigured in the Greek, the original language which the New Testament was written, is metamorpho. Metamorpho. Do you know what word we get from that? Yeah, like the butterfly, right? So that's quite interesting. Kind of a rare word. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. So there are two companions with him. It says in verse 3, Behold, there appeared to to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Why these two guys from history? What are they doing? They were characters in the Old Testament. Moses was the giver of the law, very important person. Elijah was a prophet. He was the, the defender of the law. Moses died. Elijah was taken up to heaven alive. Maybe that's why they're they're shown in this little figure. How did Matthew know who these guys were? Did they have little name tags, you suppose? Uh, Dave and I and Rich, when we go to work at, 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 what are we called now? Collins Aerospace, I guess. We have name tags we go to wear, right? So people know who we are. Did they have name tags? How did they know? How did they know who they were? I think it's a picture of heaven. I think what we see here in this little vignette, this little picture, this little pulled back veil, we see a picture of heaven. Jesus is in the center. People are raised in glory with him. We know each other, I think, in heaven. 
I don't want to press that, but I, I kind of think that's kind of a nice thought. Well, let's move on. Oh, it says they were talking with Jesus. They were speaking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah were conversing. They were having a conversation. There they were. They were on the mount, on Mount Tabor. And they're talking with Jesus. What were they talking about? What do you, don't you wish you could understand and know what that conversation was about? What do you suppose it was about? I know what it was about. Luke's gospel tells us. Luke says, they spoke about his departure that he would accomplish in Jerusalem. They spoke about his departure. What were they talking about? They were talking about the cross. They were talking about the cross. Can you imagine the discussion that they had? Jesus, you're going to go to the cross. You're going to suffer and die. You, the Son of God, are going to go to the cross, and you're going to allow yourself to be lifted up on a piece of wood and hang there between heaven and earth until you're dead. That's what they were talking about. What a thing. Now there were two responses in verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Notice he said three tents. In those days, they didn't have the big family tents like you can order from, you know, uh, REI Sports. They didn't have those big tents back then, right? It's supposed to be a joke. You're not laughing. <laughs> so they had three little tents. So what was, what was Peter thinking? It says in, in, in Mark's gospel that he was terrified. He didn't know what to say. The whole thing just blew him away. He didn't know what to say. He says, let's make three tents. Well, the time of the season, you know, the Jews, they celebrated uh, seven feasts of Jehovah. And the timing of this was around this feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents. And, Jesus, and, and Peter may have been thinking, well, it's the time of the feast. We'll make these three tents. We'll celebrate the Feast of Tents together. But he didn't know what to say. It doesn't really say why he said that. I think he was just afraid and confused in the first thing that came to mind. You ever felt that way? I kind of feel that way now. I feel a little confused. I'm not sure what to say. I just say the first thing that comes to mind. Sometimes we feel that way when we're in the presence of God. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to begin. Do we? I know I feel that way sometimes. A couple of Saturday nights ago, we had a little gospel sing here, and a couple of people came up front and prayed, and one of them just wept and wept and wept. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to pray. But I prayed that God would bless them. That's all I could think to pray. That's a good start, I think. So Peter, Peter says, okay, let's make three tents. Let's all be together. Let's stay up here. And then God, 
the Father interrupts. It says in verse 5, he was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Historically in the Bible, a cloud indicates the presence of God. So there they were, they were on the high mountain, the cloud comes down, indicates the presence of God. And God the Father speaks. And he says, this is my son. This is my beloved. This is my beloved son. In our society today, we sometimes miss this idea of sonship. Back in the day of Jesus, even back in the 1800s in our country, if you were a carpenter, what would your son be? A carpenter. If you were a plumber, what would your son be? A plumber. If you were a violin maker named Stradivarius, your son would be a violin maker, and his son would be a violin maker. You, as a son, would do what your father did. You would learn from your father. You would learn the craft. You would learn every bit of it. And you would take on and be like the father. Some people say, well, that Joe Carter, he's his father's son. Because in some ways, he looks like me and is very much like me. Jesus is God's only son, is what one scripture says. Jesus is, while he's a man on the earth, he's still identical in nature and essence to God. And God says, I love you. My relationship with you is one of divine love. I am well pleased with you. I give you my approval with everything that you say and do. And when you speak, you speak for me. It's as if I'm speaking. And God says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Now, there's a bit of irony here. Because as you look at the scene, it's based on a visual impact. You have them up on the high mountain. You have the bright cloud coming down. You have the brightness and the eminence of Jesus shining. And God says, listen to him. Don't look. Listen to Jesus. It's kind of interesting. A little bit of irony there. So the question is, what are we to hear? God says, hear him. Listen to him. Listen to what? What are we to hear? Well, now we have a reaction. The disciples fall at his feet. And they were terrified. And what does Jesus do? He tenderly reaches down 
He places his hand on them and he touches them. And he lifts them up. He comforts them with his words. When you look at the majority of the religions of the world, they are based on you finding your way to God, finding the path to God. And they're based on you doing something, becoming a better person, or, or reaching different stages of enlightenment. But Christianity is different. Instead of pointing the way to God, Christianity says, Jesus says, I am God, and I've come to find you. That's the difference. Jesus says, I am God, and I've come to find you. And Jesus says, rise up, and have no fear. This is one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. In the presence of Jesus, in the presence of his glory, Jesus reaches down and he touches them and he says, rise up and have no fear. And finally, they lift up their eyes and they saw only Jesus. He fills their vision, and everything else fades away. Can you picture the scene? So what do we do with it? It's been 2,000 years since that happened. How do we apply that today? What year are we in, 2019? How do we apply that in our lives today? Well, first off, I think the whole passage is really a bit of a metaphor of the Christian life. If you look at it in context, the previous chapter, Jesus talks about his suffering and his death in verse 21 of chapter 16. It says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, be killed. Jesus then tells his disciples in verse 24, if you'll come after me, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's talking about suffering. He's talking about death for himself. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you may have to take the same path. After this passage in chapter 17, Jesus starts talking about suffering and death again. So sandwiched into this picture of glory are scenes of suffering and death. The glimpse of the glory of the Lord is surrounded by suffering. And isn't that what our lives are? If you really think about it? I mean, some people say, if you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he'll take care of all your problems, he'll fix everything. 
does that really work for you? When we get completely honest, do we still get sick? Do we still get cancer? Do we still lose loved ones? Do we still have disappointments? Do we still have sorrow? Do we still have money problems? Do we still have fears and anxieties? The practicality is, is our lives in this world today, in this broken world, I mean, the news, New Zealand. I cry, I weep. Every time you turn it on, you see nothing but violence and sorrow and hurt. How do we make sense of it? Our lives today, we're left in this world as followers of Jesus. We're surrounded by grief and sorrow and disappointment and hurt. But the difference is that we have glimpses of Jesus that sustain us in our lives. We see him for who he is, and he reaches down, and he touches us, and he says, stand up, my dear friend. I came for you. I came to seek you. I came to save you. I came to lift you up. Rise and have no fear. That's what Jesus says. There are two types of fear I want to talk about. We're, we're almost through here. There's ultimate fear, and then there's practical fear. Ultimate fear. There's two really big ones that we have. That most people have, not everybody. One is the fear of death. And the other is connected with that, what happens after death? What happens to us? I'm afraid of that. I want to tell you right now with all certainty, Jesus has conquered both of those. He has conquered death through the resurrection, and we will share in that if we put our faith in Jesus. Amen? We no longer are in bondage to the fear of death. Jesus has conquered it. Now, I'm afraid of suffering. Okay, I want to go quick, okay? I want to go in my sleep. I want to have a, have a, I don't know, something and just drop, okay? Back when I was growing up in Maine, my mom had a phrase, so-and-so dropped dead. It's an awful phrase. That's kind of how I want to do it. <laughs> I'm afraid of that. But ultimately, Jesus has victory over death, and he's taken away that fear. I often say at work, I'm not afraid of dying. I am ready, I am prepared. Can you say that? It's only through the blood of Jesus. The second part of it is after death. In this context in chapter 16, Jesus talks about, I'm going to come back and I'm going to judge. Are you afraid of that? Are you afraid to stand before God? If you're a believer in Jesus, it's quite interesting. The scripture says we have boldness to stand before God. How? Why? How can that be? Only through the blood of Jesus. That's our only claim. When God says, what do you plead? 
reviews our life. What do you plead? I plead the blood of Jesus. Come into my kingdom, is what he'll say next, if we plead the blood of Jesus. But then there's the practical fears. Will Jesus take away all our fears and phobias in this life? And maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he'll give you peace, but maybe not. We still struggle. But there's a couple of things in this life, in our struggles, that make a difference. Number one, number one, Jesus understands us. God became flesh and lived among us. He walked this earth. Do you feel betrayed in your life? Jesus felt betrayed. Did you have loss in your life? Jesus had loss. Do you feel misunderstood in your life? Jesus was misunderstood. Do you feel like sometimes your prayers don't get answered? Jesus' prayers weren't answered all the time. Jesus is the one that in our phobias, in our fears, in our suffering, can understand. He can understand. And secondly and finally, what helps us through our times of struggle here is we know the end of the story. We know the ultimate end. Just as these guys had a glimpse of Jesus in our lives, we have a glimpse of Jesus. And we know the end of the story. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John writes, same John, same guy that was up here. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There'll be that day when we'll stand before Jesus and we'll see him in all his glory and we will be transformed. We will be changed. We will be metamorphosized to be like him and we'll see him clearly for who he is. When we look to Jesus, remember that word metamorphosis? It it's not used very much in the New Testament, but it says that when we look to Jesus, when we glimpse his glory, it will change us. We will be transformed by it. So we have Jesus who understands us in our fears and struggles. We have Jesus who has victory. We have Jesus who seeks us. We have Jesus who says, rise up and have no fear. Peter was absolutely overwhelmed by this event. And in his letter to last Peter, or second Peter, he says this, we did not follow 
cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is the son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Will you hear the voice of Jesus calling? Will you hear the voice of the one that gave himself for you? Will you look to him as your savior? Will you hear his voice and feel his touch as he says, rise and have no fear? Will you put your trust in him as your savior? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this glimpse of Jesus in his glory. And we pray that you would help us to see Jesus, to go to Jesus, to hear his voice, and to rise up and have no fear, even as we go through struggles in this life. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.